Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. If you would, bow with me and let's go to the Lord. Uh, Father God, your word, may your word today uh, help us to walk in the truth of Christ's work. Uh, may gathering today uh, be a stop for us on the path to faithfulness. And may your Holy Spirit open our eyes um, so that we might see good examples of saints who have gone before and be encouraged to stand firm in following Christ until he comes again. They were compelled by a vision of who you are and the beauty of the gospel, and we pray that we would be as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were to think back to the dawn of the like usable internet, you'd probably be thinking around like 1998. I'm not talking about Prodigy, I'm talking about Google. Okay, so Google came out in 1998, that's when it started, and from its most early days, uh, Google had a motto. Did you know that? Do you remember it? Uh, it started off their code of conduct. It was in all of their policy documents. It was in the manuals. It was murals on the wall. It was the Wi-Fi password on the buses that would take you to the different buildings on the campus. It was just three words, but in those early uh, internet days, they were kind of like a guiding light in a sometimes very scary Wild West. Uh, and, in, and this phrase, this motto, it was considered so novel that if there was an interview with the founders, it always made an appearance. They always said it. It was their shtick. Uh, now, maybe your company has good culture. You got good company culture and foosballs tables and, you know, beanbag chairs, and you're one of those. Uh, but normal people don't know your motto. They don't. They don't care. But regular people knew this one. At least they did at the time. Do you remember what it was? Don't be evil. Don't be evil. That was their motto for 20 years, from uh, uh, 1998 to 2018, and then it wasn't. <laughs> it was gone. Is Google evil now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they are. Uh, maybe. <laughs> But the one scrappy startup had some pretty good words to live by. And now, they don't. They've forgotten them. Christians have good words to live by, too. And that's why we open God's word together each week. We expect God's word to speak to us in ways that we need. And Third John is going to give us words to live by today with some examples to consider. And it's funny, but Google's former motto uh, was pretty close to something that we'll hear today. Whereas Google used to say, don't be evil, John says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. So today we're looking at the shortest book in the Bible, in the original Greek, it's only 219 words. My mom writes text messages longer than that. <laughs> but don't let the length of the document determine how you value it. 
Even the small books. Even the small books are important and God's truth is speaking to us today. We don't want to move on from these words the way that Google moved on from theirs. You know, we encounter warning labels all the time, right? Tiny bits of truth that say, do this at your own risk, or uh, this product was made in a facility with peanuts, or uh, these Christmas lights contain chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects and other reproductive harm. Have you ever seen that one? That's on everything now. (laughs) But these labels become white noise to us. Unless, of course, you're allergic to shellfish. And it will kill you. And then you look at every warning label on all the parents of allergic children said, amen. (laughs) Church, be warned. Sin will kill you. Sin will kill you. And making room for sin will kill you. And John says, whoever does evil has not seen God. Today's passage is short, but this warning label has eternal implications. Today we're going to see that the truth of the gospel produces good fruit that blesses others and exposes the state of our heart before God. We're going to see three things under that. We're going to see that we are known for the actions that our faith produces in verses one through four. We're going to see that faith produces fruit, both good and bad, in verses five through ten. We're going to see that our temporal imitations have eternal implications in verses 11 through 15. So turn with me, if you're not already there, to 3 John. It's the third from the last book of the Bible, so if you go to Revelation and turn back two pages, you'll be there. Um, 3 John, verses 1 through 4. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So we're four verses into this and we already know so much. In just the first two verses, we see that Gaius is a double beloved. We know that to John, Gaius is a beloved friend. And we know some of the reasons why. Gaius is an encouragement to John. John rejoices greatly when he hears about Gaius. He's like a proud dad. In verse four, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. While John and Gaius are friends, it's easy to assume that in the text, John's good opinion is not just his own. He's rejoicing greatly because others see Gaius' faith in action, the faith that he demonstrates. In verse three, he says, the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. And this is the first point that we see today, that we are known for the actions that our faith produces. So 2,000 years removed, we know almost nothing about the Gaius of 3 John except for this letter and what we get in it. But I think we know some of the most important things about him. 
We know that he was walking in the truth. Wouldn't you want to be known for that? And this is how John speaks of being a follower of Christ, walking, walking in truth, walking in the light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, God and us, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And last week we heard in 2 John verse 4, it says, I rejoiced greatly, there's that language again, to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So we know that Gaius, he's walking in the truth of the gospel. And we know that his faith made an impact and a lasting impression on those who encountered him. Uh, A little later in the text, we see that he wanted those who didn't know the gospel to hear it and respond to it in faith. And he supported in a sacrificial way the workers who were being sent out. This is what we do know. And so even now, even today, we rejoice greatly in the work that the Lord did in Gaius' heart. Because all of us in this room today who by faith believe in the gospel of Jesus, we believe because of God's work through a long list of Gaiuses. How do you think you got here? (laughs) People whose faith produced action because of God working through them and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Gaius is known for, a faith that worked itself out in front of others. It wasn't just a private thing or merely an internal affirmation of truth. His faith in the gospel showed up. Where does what you believe about God show up? Does it show up in your language or how you spend your time and your money? Does it show up in how you treat others? And the answer to all those questions is yes. (laughs) Yes, whether you think it shows up there or not. And what you believe about God shows up in all of those places and you will be known by others in that way. But do you believe right things about God? Is your faith for eternity found in Christ but your faith for today found in you? Your strength your will, your ability to get things done. We are known for the actions our faith produces, either for the glory of God or for the glory of ourselves. So what is the object of our faith? That's the important question. Is our faith in God or is it in ourselves? This brings us to our next point. That faith produces fruit both good and bad. Starting at verse five, we begin again with an affirmation of a beloved friend, and I'm sensing a pattern. Beloved. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So now we've entered, maybe, why John wrote this letter. There's a conflict. There's a conflict in a church. That never happens. Um, And uh, now we have two characters on two very different paths, a good example and a poor one. And in preparing for this sermon, uh, I wanted to know uh, what some other resources uh, thought about Gaius and Diotrephes. And I I like the videos produced by the Bible Project. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, And as all of the Californians who've recently joined our church would say, 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, I've noticed that. Maybe you will. Uh, But the Bible Project, it is a great resource. And uh, yeah, I'm going to promote it here. You should check it out. But I was watching a video that they made about 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, kind of an overview of the whole thing. And uh, knowing that I was preaching on this text, I kind of was hoping for like a little wisdom nugget uh, that they could give me that I could then give to you and give them credit for, because that's what we do. And, uh, and finally, the video gets to 3rd John, and all it says is, don't be diatrophies. That was it. This is a 20-minute video, and that's all they had to say about 3 John. Don't be diatrophies. And so, we're done for today. You are dismissed. Thanks for coming. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Now, I'm going to try a little bit better here, uh, because we don't just have a tale about a uh, bad guy causing a ruckus. We have what Diotrephes is doing in contrast to what Gaius is doing. And we also, uh, in a little aside from John, we get insight into why Diotrephes is doing what he is doing. In verse nine, John says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So there's a pride issue here and a problem with authority Now, I know that Montanans don't struggle with pride or have problems with authority, so this may not uh, apply to us today. (laughs) That's a joke based on seven years, seven years of observation. Um, I'm an outsider, so I I get to see you all. Um, But we all suffer from pride, and it wreaks havoc in the blind spots of our life. Sinful pride is having more faith in yourself than God. Believing that you can accomplish more by following your ways than you could if you followed God's ways. Believing that you know better than God. So let's see what we can see in this contrast that John sets up. Like I said, faith produces fruit, both good and bad. And it depends on what the object of your faith is. In verse five through eight, we see Gaius bearing fruits of life. And in verse nine through 10, we see Diotrephes bearing fruits of death. In verse five, we see Gaius humbly, faithfully, as John puts it, walking in the truth. He has faith in Christ and in the transformative power of the gospel. And I say humbly because Gaius is continuing to submit himself to doing good, even though there are two uncomfortable realities in his world right now. 
One is that complete strangers are showing up at his door in need. And two is that Diotrephes is kind of a punk. <laughs> Gaius's life would probably be a little easier if he didn't have either of those things to deal with. Following Jesus is not always the most comfortable option. But experiencing hardship and difficulty for Christ's sake is not just an honor and an act of worship, it is actually joy-producing. In the book of James, chapter one, verse two, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Jesus, in Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil or wicked nonsense against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as much as we may not want to admit it, I think that we often confuse God's blessing with material comfort or the absence of conflict. But God doesn't promise us comfort outside of himself. In Psalm 73, verse 26, the psalmist writes that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the scriptures are bursting with this kind of language that God himself is our portion, that he is our supply, that when other things fail, he will not. And God doesn't promise peace outside of himself either. In Ephesians 2.14, it even goes to say that Jesus himself is our peace. So this is how John knows that Gaius is walking in the truth because he has faith in God even when it's uncomfortable. And seeing this, others are encouraged by it. Remember back in verse three, uh, the brothers reported back to John, they testified that Gaius is faithful, walking in the truth. And now in verses five through eight, it says, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And we started with Gaius double beloved, and now he's triple beloved and doubled with a good testimony from others. And people are being encouraged in their faith because of Gaius. And Gaius is, all Gaius is doing is following the example that Christ gave for how the gospel spreads in the early stage of the church. He's being faithful to that. We see this in Luke chapter 10, verses one through nine. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way 
Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So we see this pattern that some are sent and some send. And Gaius is one of these sons of peace that Jesus is talking about. He's supporting the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, to unbelievers at a cost to himself. I'm going to have water. I know how it goes if I don't. (laughs) So he's supporting the uh, spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the unbelievers, at a cost to himself. And guys is sending them on their journey in a manner worthy of God because he's following You're more embarrassed than me, I promise. Thanks, Pam. We'll get there. All right. So Gaius is sending them out on their way in a manner worthy of God because he's following the teaching of Jesus. He's doing what Jesus said. And I think sometimes we can wonder, what is God's will for my life? We make this complicated, don't we? I like to imagine that things weren't so complicated for Gaius. He read the scriptures. He tried to be faithful. And in this instance, he did what they said, and his faith bore good fruit. And because of that, he was called a fellow worker for the truth. Now, as a church at Sovereign Hope, we want to grow corporately in our support of global missions. And we take the great commission of Jesus very seriously, like he lays out in Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. (coughs) We also want to be counted as fellow workers for the truth. If you were at our business meeting a couple of weeks ago, you know this already uh, because uh, not only are we giving more from our general budget to missions than we have in the seven years since I've been here, but we've outlined a goal to increase our giving to gospel work around the world by 1% of our budget every year, putting what we believe about God into action. It's because of Gaius and people like him and churches with people like him bearing good fruits of faith, that the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. It spreads to the ends of the earth and global workers, they bear good fruits, sharing the good news. The good news that Christ alone has done everything required to save sinners and restore us to God. That the only reason that we can come near to God is because Christ came near to us. He humbled himself and left his throne of glory and came near to us. 
the message, the good news of Jesus, that he took the punishment that we deserved for our sin. And yet Christ has lavished on us everything that he deserved as a reward for his sinless life and perfect obedience. And now in Christ we can stand holy and blameless before God, adopted as if we were firstborn sons with an eternal inheritance, and all of it given as a gift through faith. This is what compels guys to be faithful. And this is what compels us to be faithful. The message that God was faithful when we were not. Gaius, bearing fruits of life because of his faith in Christ. And the gospel goes forward. But in verses 9 through 10, we see diatrophies and fruits of unbelief and death. Verse 9. I've written something to the, tr- to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. <clears throat> now in this section, I don't feel the need to... to pick apart everything that Diotrephes is doing and look at it with the same thoroughness that we looked at the example of Gaius. Diotrephes was a bad dude. The Bible project is right. Don't be Diotrephes. What makes uh, this even more uncomfortable, though, is that this isn't just some guy making a scene. He is most likely part of the church. And he might even think that he has right motives for what he's doing but we know that he's wrong because he's trying to stand in the way of the spread of the gospel. We don't know exactly why he's doing this. We're not told. In verse seven, John writes that the people coming to Gaius for support are not wanting to be a burden to the Gentiles that they're coming to preach to. Is Diotrephes upset that the gospel is being preached to Gentiles? Is he upset that people who are different from him are being saved? Is, is it that he thinks that this is a waste of time and resources, like the church has more important things to do? Is he upset because this is his area of influence? He doesn't like that somebody is sending someone else in to help as though he needed it. We don't know. But we know that Diotrephes' prideful need to be right has caused him to sin spectacularly. And we should heed this warning. Diotrephes was inside the church, and this is how he ended up. Later today, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it is right and good to examine ourselves before taking part in it. Today, in a unique way, the scriptures have brought to our attention the sin of pride. And pride not only kept Diotrephes from being effective in ministry, his pride hindered others from being effective. He sinned against God and he sinned against others. Has your need to be right led you to sin in your actions? Has a sense of self-importance led you to sin in inaction? When it comes to clear commands of God, have you said in your heart, I don't need to do that. I have other more important things to do. Have you like Diotrephes sinned against someone at church that you call a brother or a sister. Before you take part in communion today, it would be right 
for you to make efforts to be reconciled to them, to repent and believe. Believe that as we confess our sins that God is faithful and just to forgive them and in doing so, you will walk in the truth. I said earlier that in Gaius we have a good example and in Diotrephes a poor one. So I want to briefly contrast uh, Gaius's fruits of life with Diotrephes' fruit of death. We see that Gaius has faith in Christ. He's walking in the truth. That Diotrephes has faith in himself and this shows that he has been deceived. That others are encouraged by the fruit of Gaius's faith. And that John and Gaius and the church, they're discouraged by Diotrephes' pride and wicked nonsense. Because of Gaius, the gospel is being enabled to be spread through God's work through people. The same thing we hope happens through us. But in Diotrephes, gospel workers are maligned and they're unwelcome to the point that Gaius is even, or Diotrephes is even driving people away from the church forcefully. We see that gospel workers are supported in the life of Gaius. And in Gaius, the, in this letter, he's affirmed for what he does with the truth that he believes, the fruit that his faith produces. But we see that Diotrephes is rebuked for what he does with the lies that he believes. These two figures are presented for us to consider today because in Christ, we will be more like Gaius. And in our flesh, we will be more like Diotrephes. This is our warning label. As we approach the end of this letter, John continues in his work in contrasts. Now look at verses 11 through 15. He says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. At the end of the letter, the now quadruply beloved Gaius is given a command. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And that's because our temporal imitations have eternal implications. Let me ask you a question. Um, At any point in your Christian life, have you ever operated uh, as though this life that we are living right now in this time on earth is like a waiting room for heaven. Don't raise your hand. You accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You prayed a prayer. Maybe you got baptized. But functionally, it made little difference. You're coming to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday belong to you. Prayers were either panicked pleas for relief or a continual stream of asking for forgiveness for sins and temptations that you never planned on fighting against. Worship was good if the music was cool. 
Preaching was good if you stayed awake. The service was good if you were home in time for the game. Events were good if your friends were there. And your Bible was good if it stayed closed. Because your life is so busy that you have no time to consider what it might say. Have you ever operated in this way? I know I did. And after 14 years of full-time ministry, I, I don't think that my experience is that unique. I was in and around the church. I knew the uh, right answers to the questions. I did the right things when the right people were looking, but in my heart, I was pursuing my goals, my comfort, my pleasure, and the glory of my name through sinful pride and sensuality and deceitfulness. I was in church, but I was not saved. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And I was an evildoer. I wasn't driving people out of the church, but in my pride, I was a lot like Diotrephes. I thought I knew better than God. It sounds so dramatic, right? But it's the truth. I didn't really care about responding to the gospel with good works. My coming to Jesus effectively turned into license to sin continually without the fear of future eternal consequences. But what we do now matters. This life is not a waiting room. But we need hearts changed by God. We need the help of the church and the courage that Christ's example provides to walk in faith. Our big idea for today was that the truth of the gospel produces good fruit that blesses others, exposes the state of our hearts before God. Those who will see God imitate good. And this is why as a church, we promote and talk about and resource discipleship. Why we want to help one another grow in faith and follow Christ in all of life. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And I want to encourage you today, if there's someone in this room that you think is someone you'd like to imitate, you see the work of God in their life and you know that you need help, what is stopping you from picking their brain and from asking them, how do you do this? Not how do you do all these things? How do you do all these things you do? Doing many things can just be another trap where pride shows up as if God owes you for your good works. Instead, what you should want to know from a Christian who's a little bit further along than you is what do you believe about God that turned you into what you are today? Because if you walk out of here today and what you've heard is do the things that someone like Gaius did, then I have failed. <laughs> and we can imitate what Gaius did, we can imitate what John did. The Apostle Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. We can do a lot of things and miss the point. Because we don't want to just do what Gaius did. We want to believe what Gaius believed. And this is how we want to imitate. Don't imitate just works. Imitate faith that works. And don't just read your Bible more. Believe that your Bible contains the very word of God and that it is there for you so that you might hear from him. Don't just serve more. Instead, see how Christ served you in the gospel 
And let the overflow be your response that blesses others. We want the faith that Gaius had because fruit follows faith. The fruit follows faith. I honestly don't know if I came up with that or I heard it someplace else, but it is true. Fruit follows faith and not the other way around. Gaius believed that Christ was worth it. Imitate him in that way because he is. Being a follower of Jesus is worth hardship and loss of comfort and really awkward conversations. Imitate him. Following Jesus awkwardly and uncomfortably is better than comfortably coasting through life, hoping that there's a heaven at the end of it. We don't often coast towards goodness, do we? And John finishes his letter with an introduction to Demetrius, who is probably the stranger that is delivering this letter to him. What do we know about Demetrius? We know that he's a lot like Gaius. In verse 12, it says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Gaius and Demetrius, they seem to me to be good examples of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5.16, where Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So may we be counted with them, lights shining in the darkness, joined in mission so that others might know the hope of Jesus in the gospel, operating each day in a grateful response to the grace that we've received in Christ. And may our lives be imitable and encouraging to others in the faith, not just because of what we do, but because of what we believe. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you that my voice held out. Uh, Lord, it seems a small thing, but I'm just thankful for the way that your word goes forward uh, through broken vessels and through uh, people who don't feel um, equipped. But God, you are faithful to use us. You're faithful to use us all. And so Lord, I pray that as we uh, seek to be doers of good, Lord, that you would work in us and through us for your good purposes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.